All right, everybody, I am here today with John Johnson. He is the Chief Development Officer at Approval Payment Solutions. How are you doing today, John? I'm great. James, Patty, how are you? Uh, we're doing great, aren't we, James? We sure are. So, uh, John, we're of course, today we're going to be talking about powerful sales meetings and how to bring your team together and have face-to-face -face interactions that really motivate them and encourage them uh, for the new year. But before we get to all of that, John, I would love to hear your story. So can you take a few minutes and just tell us how you got into the payment processing industry and how you ended up at Approval Payment Solutions? Yeah, absolutely. So I have 33 years of experience now in sales, sales management, training, and business development. So uh, I, I really grew up in, in the sales arena. Uh, I was a quarter-bearing sales rep for nine years had some success with that, and then, uh, of, of course, got promoted out of what I was really good and competent at. Of course. So it was uh, the Peter Principle at work. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, 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 it's been great. I, I've held virtually every uh, position you could have in an organization from sales manager to president of the company. So, you know, what, what really gets me excited about it is the development of people. Uh, again, uh, the, the winning deals is great, making money is great, but, but for me, really, the most rewarding thing is, is seeing people that I work with be successful. I've had a number of really great salespeople work for me over the years, sure. and it, it is, a, it is a, a really source, a great source of pride for me that if I just had a little bit to do with their success, right. then, then that's a really big win for me. Sure, sure. sure. So... You know, John, I want to dive into this topic of, you know, getting your team together. And, you know, it, it's one of these things that a lot of ISOs don't do because of the whole 1099 culture and kind of the lone wolf type thing. And so my first question to you is, you know, with all the time and expense that goes into bringing your salespeople to one location, you know, once a year or whatever it is to, to get them together, why do you think it's so important to do that? And what do you feel like ISOs and processors maybe are missing out on that are not offering that to their agents? Well, so uh, uh, to, to your point, James, I'm relatively new to the payment space. I've been in about three and a half years. Sure. And I, I went into this, and, and, and I've been in other industries before, and I went into this with a mindset that, you know, a sales organization is a sales organization. But I right. found out pretty quickly that there are some specific quirks to, to the payment space and how that works, and especially the divide between, uh, for example, salaried sales reps and 1099 sales reps. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, our president, Alan No, his philosophy is to tell our folks more rather than less. Right. And Patty, as you and James know, that, that can buy it both ways. But right. we really feel at the end of the day that that serves us very, very well. We have an advisory board made up both of salary and independent folks. So we really let them know on what our thought processes are, what we see, and and really uh, let them know how the sausage is made. And as you know, sometimes it's it's not pretty. Right. But at the end of the day, we feel like we get really great results out of that. Now, to answer your question, yeah, it, it is a lot of expense and it's a lot of effort on our part. But but we feel that by doing that, that we're going to bring our folks that much closer to us. And the other part of this is, is that, that our sales summit is all about giving our folks tools and information that they can take, go out the field, and win with. Sure. Um, the other thing about that is the facet of our sales summit is there's lots and lots of social networking. Uh, you have to you have to take your vitamin B complex before this, and you better be rested up. It's a it's a it's a marathon event. Um, 
we had their pack sessions during the days and their late nights and the, the friendships and the relationships made both between our salaried, our independent agents, and then also our vendors. That's just really invaluable. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, and you know, and it's interesting, you and I had a, a really good conversation about this. I think it was last week that we were talking on the phone. Um, and I would love if you could share, you've been there for, you know, doing these two or three years there, you know, what are some of the mistakes that you've seen that were made maybe in previous years, some improvements that you've made this year with kind of the format, some things we had talked about with the, the structure of the sessions? Would you mind sharing a little bit of that with the group in terms of, you know, the best way to kind of structure these events so the, the participants get the most out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So this is our 14th sales summit. And for the first uh, 12 years, we stuck pretty much to the same format. Is We had internal folks talking about processes, new initiatives, new products that we developed, and that was in concert with our vendors. And so, so what began to happen over time is all of these presentations tend to be compacted into a very short period of time. Uh, it was a 20 to 30-minute data dump. And it really right. looked like here was our product at, at January 1 last year. Here was our product and everything we did at, Je- at December 31. And then now here's what it's going to look like January 1 this year and December 31. Right. So what we found and the feedback we were getting from our agents is, is that this, this information really seemed to run together over a while. And they weren't really uh, necessarily getting things, although this was good information being a part of on them. They really weren't getting things that they could take back out to the field and be successful with. Right. So last year we had a really big change on, on this, and we, we took a less is more concept. So what we do is, is we have three speakers in the morning, and they have a general session that applies to all 100 attendees. Then what we did in the afternoon is each one of those folks had a breakout session to where we had folks in the room that really did a deep dive on the subject matter that was talked about that morning. In some cases, it, it was a software demonstration skills. In the case of hardware, vendors would bring uh, their pieces of gear in and our reps would actually get hands-on and how to demo it and how to, to work with it. So we got really great reviews on that. And uh, again, for, for our first effort and the radical change as, as how our summit was structured, it was a lot, but it, it was, I'm gonna say 95% there. So we've honed that a little bit, even more so this year, and we expect this year's summit to be even bigger and better. Awesome. Now, one of the other big questions I know a lot of ISOs I talk to about this, you know, one of the big questions they have is like, with the expense and everything, who do we bring to this event? You know, maybe they've got, you know, hundreds of independent reps. Some of them sell a lot. Some of them sell a little. Some of them don't sell anything. They've got some W-2 reps. They've got internal employees. They've got vendors. How do you decide who to bring to this event so that you're, you know, adding value, but at the same time, not wasting a bunch of money? Right, getting the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak. Right. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, you know, we have about 300 independents that we pay every month, and you know, some of those some of those folks uh, are, are very active with us, and some of them we have very very little activity from. So, right. you know, uh, we quite frankly we we bear the uh, the brunt of most of the expense for this. So we've become more selective over the years on who we invite to it. Sure. Um, so, so certainly it's, it's, it's funny how that works, right? You know, our, our really active people and our salary people, they're excited about the summit every year. You know, they want right. to right. hear about it. They want to know what's going on. They want to hear late summer what date it's going to be so they can block it out on the calendar. 
you know, and those are the folks that, not just the presenters, but as, as you two know, from an active participant, that's what really makes for, for a great show. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. So, so, so yeah, that, that part's not, not an issue, and uh, we've really gotten some great traction the last couple of years, and since we have fewer spots uh, to give to our vendors, those, those are more coveted spots now, and, and quite frankly, you know, we're, we're looking for our vendors that are going to make a big splash that are, have been great partners of APS right. that want to become even closer and better partners to us. So th- those are the ones that, that we give featured spots to at our summit. Hmm. Now, one of the things that kind of goes along with that that I found really interesting um, is the the makeup or the mix of these groups, especially in the afternoons when you split. So it's like, I think what you were saying was you have these you know morning sessions where everybody's there, then you split up into the afternoon into smaller groups. And so, you know, I was really interested in the mix there because rather than, correct me if I'm wrong, but rather than having, you know, the 1099s in one group, the W2 in another, the mm-hmm. vendors in another or whatever, you really try to have like a mixture where everybody's together. Can you talk about that a little bit and why you chose to go that route? Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm smiling right now while you're saying this. This is one of my marketing folks. This was their brainchild last year. And okay. initially I was against it, but the, the reasoning was great on that. So as, uh, as you all, I'm sure this would be no surprise to you, we have some very, very strong personalities. Sure. Oh yeah. And both are both our agent and our salary sales force. So sure. what what happens with uh, especially with our independent groups is typically the leader of that group has an extremely strong personality. So the marketing person said, Hey, I, I think what's gonna happen is is that, that we're gonna get in these breakout sessions and, and if we get the leader of a of an ISG and he's got six sales reps there that he's gonna wanna do all the talking mm-hmm. for his uh, for his sales folks. So sure. Uh, I think that was a true statement. So what we ended up doing was we literally, uh, by hand, broke up the list, and and our salaried sales reps are in are in different groups. Our independents are in different groups. Uh, some of our internal folks that that work for for APS, we broke them all up. So that actually that diversity in those groups that served us extremely well in the breakout session. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. I found that really interesting, actually. That, yeah, no, I do too because I've been to a lot of these shows. You know where it is. It's like one person just dominates. Right. They have right. a really strong personality, and then nobody else gets anything in there. And this way, at least, it looks like you're sort of saying, okay, John might be a little bit bombastic, so and so is Mary. <laughs> so let's not put Mary and John in the same room, right? <laughs> Yeah, a little yeah. bit bombastic. That's what, That's a real <laughs> nice way to put, put it, right? <laughs> I, I try. I try to be judicious yeah, in my that, terminology. That, that, was, that was that was very that was very polite. Um, so so John, um, you know, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about APS because. Um, you know, you, in my opinion, your company is a little bit of one of these like kind of best kept secret type of type of things as far as agents and ISOs may not be familiar with what you have to offer. So let's kind of talk and use the, you know, your event coming up in January as kind of a, a launch pad. So what are some of the things you're excited about with APS that you're rolling out in 2020? What are some things there that you're going to be talking about that you really feel like set you apart from all of the other options that are out there for independent reps and, and ISOs? So James, there's a few things here. We really occupy a sweet spot. Uh, de- depending on what review service you look at, we're about the 40th largest ISO in the United States. So, so that means a couple of things. That means that we have the products and services that can support really large sales groups. But at the same time, is pretty much everyone in our downline has our president's 
cell phone number and knows where he lives. So <laughs> we're very, very successful. Sure, sure. Uh, our president is a banker by trade. So that's how really our ISO got started was by referral and agent-bank relationship. Sure. So we've continued that into our 22nd year, and we're still very strong in that arena. But what we've also done over that time is we've become very product-rich. And we've also become uh, interested in, in vertical niches and have been very successful there, such as the medical space, whether it's a veterinarian, a dentist, a family doctor, we're very strong there, very uh-huh. strong in the government and school sector, uh, and we're very strong in retail and restaurants. So one of the really exciting things that's happened for us in the last few years has been the emergence of our digital marketing platform. And, and uh, James and Patty, how that came about was, uh, like a lot of ISOs, a few years ago, we started having our customers asking how we could integrate to their websites, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So then we started hearing about, well, we, we really don't like our website. Do you have recommendations on that? So although at, at, at first blush, it, it may not seem like payments and websites go up, go along with each other. Well, actually, they do oh, yes. because it's all about your customer's buying experience. Right. Right? Right. So then our customers start saying, how can we get more traffic to our website? How can we get more traffic to our stores? So very quickly, this became a, a new division for us, and it's vibrant. Uh, in uh, just under two years, we now have 800 product placements. So from a, from a salesperson standpoint, this is very, very exciting. Because we're not just selling one product into a customer now. We actually, our, our best one we've had so far, we sold eight separate products into one customer. <laughs> and only one of those products was purchase uh, services. The rest of those were digital marketing products. Sure. So there's a, there's a few things happen there. Um, we are, are, it's very impactful on the customer. We're doing things about talking about not just... Uh, in, in the nitty-gritty, which we tend to get into emergent services on, on cutting costs, right? But it's about driving revenue. It's about that independent restaurant owner, about processing their, uh, their online orders. It's about getting more patrons into the restaurants. It's about giving rewards and marketing actively to those people to visit the restaurants. So those are very, very exciting and fun conversations, as you might guess, to have with a customer. Sure. Yeah. So well, this has really been good information. It's so interesting, uh, all of this concept of, you know, both putting the events together and then really like trying to differentiate your, your ISO. I know that's on everybody's mind this time of year. Um, so I do have one last question. It's maybe a little bit of a head scratcher because uh, it's so general, but I really want to zoom out for a second. And, you know, you have a unique experience having worked in sales and sales development for a long time, but then having just come to our industry, you know, three, three and a half years ago, I think you said, so here's my question for you. There's a lot of ISO executives and managers that are listening right now. Um, what would your advice be to them, having looked at all these other industries and come to our industry? Is there anything that's really stood out to you? Maybe one or two things that you go, you know, all of these other industries seem to have this figured out, but the, the payments industry maybe doesn't, or maybe it's an opportunity. I don't know. Is there any kind of general advice that you would give to ISO executives and managers that maybe from your experience in other industries that we could bring here to see better results? Yeah, so I, I think, uh, James and Patty, I think one of the things that strikes me a little odd that, that's unique about our industry is this notion of evergreen residual payments. Um, right. I know that, that we're not unique in this. Um, I hear this from, 
from ISOs that we're friendly with in the market, but they'll have reps that will work for a period of time and they run to a number and they don't ever hear from them again. And there's a notion a lot of times they're not even servicing their existing book customers, yet they're still cashing that check every month. Right. So, you know, I, I, I know people, I, I, hear, I hear complaining about it and I'll, I know people are unhappy about it, but I don't really know what the industry is doing about that, if anything. I mean, do, do you folks have any insights to this? Yeah, you know, it, it seems like kind of there's a couple trends. Um, you know, I think one one thing is uh, a big chunk of our industry still just does that. They have the evergreen. But I, there's a couple things that I, I've seen happen. One is this idea of what's called breakage in our industry or different terms for it, but they are vested. But the idea would be like, hey, you know, we'll pay you forever, but you got to build us a book where you're getting at least 1000 a month or 2000 a month. We're not going to pay you $27 a month forever. Right. Right. So there's, there's that piece of it. And then, of course, the other side is there's a lot of um, ISOs now they're going more towards like a W-2 model where there's maybe some requirements as far as like you mentioned, you have to service the accounts or things like that. So uh, it's a very interesting debate and it's a trend that I think is hotly debated. I think really the reason it still exists the way it does is just competition. Yeah. And don't you think, I mean, it it seems to me at least that the W-2 trend is part of the response to that. It is. Because you can hold, you know, you can hold them accountable when they're a W-2. Right, right. But even, you know, it's funny, uh, John, even the W-2 model, though, with a lot of companies that are starting that, what they do is they actually transition an agent from W-2 over to 1099 when they become inactive and and continue paying mm-hmm. the residuals that way. Oh, interesting. So yeah. it's, it, it is, it is, it is, it, I guess what you're trying to say is that's, that's really unique, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. Yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like oh. good good news for the agents listening. You're in an industry that does something that really no other industry seems to want to do. Yeah, you can sell and stop uh, selling and still right. Know. But I think it's also a message to the ISOs, right? That says like maybe revisiting and looking at. Well, wait a second, we're going to pay you residuals forever for what? Maybe there should be some thresholds in place or something that says, hey, you're going to get paid your residuals forever as long as you do X. Is that kind of what you're saying, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't you think the you know and the, yeah. and the servicing quotient is a very important quotient right. there? Right, right. You, you got to service some accounts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at a minimum, you would want them. To, you know, you would want to make that a requirement of. Right. You know. You know what else, John? Too. What's What's interesting I've seen is a lot of ISOs uh, combat this by having very aggressive buyout programs. Uh huh. Yeah. So they see, okay, this rep's getting five hundred dollars a month, and they have for a year, but they haven't done anything. Let's go offer this rep a fifteen x or a twelve x buyout. Just so we can stop paying them at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, very, very, very interesting. So, so on that side of it, uh, we got the residual portion of it. What about on the on the side of agent training, agent management? I know that's an area where you have a lot of experience. It, are you seeing any trends in our industry that maybe are subpar or better than, or you know, than these other industries that you've been in as far as training and support and kind of just developing the sales talent? Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, I, I think that the, especially if you're an independent agent, that, that you better be pretty adaptable or you're going to mm-hmm. find yourself irrelevant very quickly. Um, sure. I've been in the, the technology for most of my adult life, and, and I've, I've uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the, the original dot-com boom and the, and the Internet boom, and, and uh, I don't know if you all are, are old enough to remember the long-distance wars. Oh yes. So people, people don't even know what long distance is anymore, right? Right. So I, I really feel like our industry is in a time of transition right now. Uh, you know, the, the the customer experience, the shopping experience, 
being driven to the web, finding it, that store on the web, processing that payment. You know, if, if you're not dialed in on that as a sales rep, you're going to find yourself irrelevant very, very quickly. Yeah, I sure. agree. Hmm. Well, you know, I think we could go on talking about this, uh, John, for quite some time. We but could, uh, could, yeah, yeah, really, really good info. So I know there's a lot of people listening that want to learn more about APS. Uh, they want to learn more about you. Where would you send them to learn more about the reseller programs you have? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, go to our website at www.apsolutions.net. Or uh, always, anyone, feel free to email me at jjohnson at apsolutions.net. You can also find me on LinkedIn. So we'd love to hear from you. We have a very vibrant, independent channel. We have a lot to offer as far as training and support to our agents. Again, we're, we're big enough to handle pretty much anything you can bring in. And yet, you know, we're, we're small enough that you will meet and have a relationship with everyone in our organization. Awesome. 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 Thanks again, John, so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it, John. Have a great one. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. So here's an interesting update from SearchX, which is uh, one of the few companies that supports compliant credit card surcharging for card not present mer merchants. Yes. Yeah, very interesting stuff there. Very interesting. The company has uh, just announced a partnership with Mode Effect, which is a consultancy that works with online merchants that makes surcharging an option for WooCommerce merchants. Which is WordPress. Right. Yep. Correct. Yeah. So there's like... I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's got to be 20% or more yeah. of e-commerce websites are built on WordPress with right. WooCommerce. They because have a huge market share. Huge market share because it's like, you know, the, especially, you know, mom and pops. I mean, right. building your e-commerce site with WordPress is a lot easier a than lot easier you know, a lot than, cheaper than having the developers do it. It's, exactly. It's, exactly. you know, $500 versus 50000 Right. And uh, and this is just like this. This is the second uh, big deal in a couple in a couple months. Um that SearchX has, has inked, it had a deal with Dial America, which is one of the largest privately held teleservices companies. Oh, okay. Dial America. I know about that one. Yeah, they, um, they count as customers 25% of the top health plan providers in the country. You know, so they're the guys that call up and sign up cons customers and handle inbound and outbound customer service calls for the insurance companies. Oh, for like health insurance. Health insurance. Really? Yeah. Okay. You know, like interesting for folks, uh, you know, that do the, you know, this. We're recording this in December, and uh, you right. know, March, uh, November through December, you had to sign up for your health care yes, plan. Yes, I just year. I just signed up for mine a couple days ago. Yeah, yeah, I just finished my work up about a week or two ago. Right. And you know, I don't know about you, but I was getting tons of phone calls from health plans oh sign up with our plan sure. sign up with our okay. plan these are the people that do that they do that okay okay interesting so, right. yeah yeah very I, I, you know what so basically they're going to do surcharging on premiums is that the idea right okay right so um and that's the dial america and the other thing with this mode effect is for you know the e-commerce e-commerce i mean to me it's like all of this just basically means consumers are becoming more and more accustomed to seeing surcharges exactly yeah. exactly you know and we've talked about this in the past but it probably re you know bears repeating sort of the difference between surcharging and cash discounting sure so i just wanted to you know for, yeah, for sure. folks that are new out there sure. or whatever you know 
as the term implies, a cash discount is a discount given when the customer pays with cash. You know, under card brand rules, the posted prices are supposed to be the full price charge when the transaction involves a card. Well, let me let me let me back you up but one that, second though, because yeah, you know. know how I disagree. I know with how this. you disagree with this. So, so, that's why I was gonna so <laughs> the language does not say that the posted price. It says that the price that the consumer is informed is the regular price. Correct. Okay. It does was, not say the method in which they are informed. Uh, that's true. Then and, and I was hoping that you would you would <laughs> yes. interject. Now, of course, that. Visa would agree with you. Right. Of course. I, and again, I yes. had to take. I took that off of Visa site, knowing <laughs> you that knew James I would interrupt you. Me, you knew right. I would interrupt you there. Oh, so go ahead. Go uh, ahead. But of course. But of course. <laughs> but that's okay. You know. And anyway, the prices get discounted right. when the pay yes. when you pay with cash, um, and cash discounting is, is expressly. Permitted by federal law as under we the talked Amendment. under the Durban Amendment. Right. Okay. And I, and I think it's better saying that the net effect of this is that it's the financial model is the same as a surcharge. The difference being with most cash discount programs, the service fee or non-cash adjustment or whatever you're doing is going to apply to debit and credit. Correct. And that's and that's the thing. You know, a surcharge is a fee that's added at the, at the checkout when the car when a credit card is used. Right. Not not debit and not prepaid. Not debit, not prepaid. Um, and, you know, surcharging is permitted under card brand rules, of course, for credit, um, and but only for the actual amount of the cost of processing, which is where it gets a little complex. Yes. Okay. Right. And uh, surcharging is currently banned, however, in about six states, I think it is, Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Maine, Massachusetts, and Oklahoma. Yes. And, and the interesting thing is I would imagine that this – there's also some very unique rules in a couple of other states, exactly. but I would think that this WooCommerce thing would not fall under that because, like, for instance, in New York, the, their only thing is you have to show the regular price and the like the, mm-hmm. the standard price and the credit card price. Right. You have to show both of those prices, but I would imagine that this integration with Search X, I would imagine that WooCommerce just does that by default in the shopping cart, so it's probably good in New York. Right, and you know, and, and just for, again, to educate our listeners, you know, New York, was had banned surcharging for a very long time. Yeah, and uh, but it was forced to uh, back down earlier in in 2019, following successful challenge to the law by merchants in the state. And I always loved this because it was a free speech issue. Yes, it was. I was. You know, yes. how do you how do you say how do you state your prices? Right. Well, and what they said was this is they said the Supreme Court, you know, and it was expressions hair design versus right. the attorney general of New York. Right. And they ruled that that the the surcharge ban was not a law regulating pricing. It was a law regulating how you communicate. Yes, exactly. Yes. And, it, and it's true. It, it, is. it, it really yeah. is. You know, so. Yeah. And then what did they do when, it, when they kicked it back to New York? New York said, oh, okay. okay, well, then we'll allow surcharging as long as you communicate it this way. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, anyway. It's like, <laughs> anyway, so surcheck, and I think we interviewed them in the past, didn't we? I think we might have. I think we interviewed wow, them. Wow, my, my memories must be worse than yours. I don't know. I thought I, we It's had, funny because I was literally just about to say, we got to get them on here to talk about this. And maybe we should get them back on because yeah. I think we interviewed yeah, them we in did. 2018. Yeah, I think, I think we it did. was in 2018. Yeah, okay, time so, to get them back on. Let's, time let's to get look them back at our notes here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But um, they've developed a solution that integrates with the merchant's online shopping cart and payment processors to assess the appropriate surcharge in real time based on the interchange rates for each card and the laws and regulations of the governing jurisdictions. Sure. Because as we said, although it is legal in 44 states in the District of Columbia, each state has a little bit different. And I think you'll actually see – I think you'll actually see these remaining six 
come on board over the next 12 to 18 months, but they're, each one of them is going to have something. A little bit different. Yeah. You know what was funny? I, I don't think I told you this. I think it's Connecticut. My favorite one is in Connecticut. In Connecticut, there's actually a law that if you uh, – no, wait, not Connecticut. What is it? There's a, it's a different it's a Texas? state. Are you t- thinking no, about Texas? No, it's a small state. Oh, okay. Delaware. It's one of the ones that – yeah, maybe it's one of the ones that allows it. <clears throat> but this is funny. The regulation is you have to verbally, uh, you know, oh, <laughs> really? communicate to the customer, which is like, how are you going to regulate that? So, like, literally to well, – What, are you going to have, like, uh, like recorders at the point of sale right. or something? So, like, literally to surcharge legally – I'll have to look it up. Whichever – I just did because I did my, my cash discount and surcharge mm-hmm. workshops. I did all this research. And it's like you to, – to technically to do it legally there, your cashier, when somebody comes to the counter, they have to say to them, if you pay with a credit card, it will be this price. Oh, wow. You know, like wow. verbally every time. Every time. But no imagine? one does that. It's so stupid. You know, it's like – I don't know. That's like that's like making a law that says you know you can't be jealous of someone. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing, but you can't regulate that. So right. there's no way to right. And how are you going to train like you know thousands upon thousands <laughs> right. of cashiers? Right. You know, how to say that? Right. Yeah, that's stupid. Anyway. Yeah. But well, yeah. So all these rules are very interesting. So SearchX is, is and, and other companies like Cardex, you know, are are serving an interesting uh, right. You know. Right. So, you know, here's what Robert Maynard, he's the founder of SearchX. He said, uh, our quote, our promise is to take the compliance risk out of surcharging. Right. And, uh, you know, and it's interesting. And, and, you know, I may be stepping out on a limb here, James, but, I, but you know, I'm going to venture a guess that we're going to hear a, more about credit card surcharging in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're very far out on a limb there. I think that's, uh, I think know, that's I, just I, about a guarantee. It's sort of the, the yin to the cash discounting yang. Yes, and, uh, yes. And 2020, you know, I think, you know, we've it's sort of been, you know, and it's interesting. I, I will say that um, I was on a panel back in January 2019 right. um, at the um, NEAA. Uh-huh. And they asked me, what do you think, you know, what what do you think is going to happen with surcharging and cash discounting? Right. And I said, we're going to see tons more cash discounting this year. Right. Now, I was on a panel with MasterCard and Visa. They, you know, you right. could see them verbally like. Right, yeah. So, but I did, did feel that. I think we did. Which is I, true. It bared out. I would be know? willing to say that probably the number of cash discount merchants in 2019 versus 2018 probably doubled. I was just going to say that. I bet you. I mean, literally. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, it is. And I think we're going to see more surcharging, particularly now that New York, you know, New York, it was in 2019. It takes time for yeah. people to get used to it. You know, it's interesting, and 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 obviously, you know, uh, Maynard and and Jonathan Rossi at Cardex would right. agree with that. And and I, you could be right. I, the one thing that's interesting to me is, I think that this whole surcharging model, unfortunately, is largely predicated on this argument that cash discounting is not compliant, mm-hmm. and that Visa and Mastercard are going to take action against it. Yeah. And I don't think they are. And, I mean, there hasn't been any indication they're going to do anything serious yet. And so the problem is that if they're not going to take action on it, then the rationale for the surcharging is still there. I still believe in it. I mm-hmm. think it's great. Don't get me wrong. I think it's an amazing – I think you should sell both. Right. But I think that it it's the landslide that everybody was expecting on the surcharge side. I don't think that's going to happen until the um, – government or somebody there has to be somebody that's going to step into the gap and say this is what it is right you can't do it any other way and right now it's like all the states and everything it's very complicated i don't know if we're going to see that and i and i think it's really hard because it's sort of that old adage of you know shutting the barn door after the animals have already escaped exactly right and and i mean i think for me 
um, the one thing I see that's the downside is the bad press for surcharging. You know, when I was researching this, when I was, you know, doing my notes for this, I was surprised at how many articles I saw, you know, you know, diners and, you know, restaurants in Atlanta are, you know, if you use a card at a restaurant in Atlanta, it's going to cost you more money. Uh, You know, New York is, you know, you know, all these local publications grousing about surcharging sure whereas cash discounting just sounds better it you know it sounds better but it's funny even it's with, the same thing it I mean. is but even with even with surcharging though i was actually surprised i did a similar research mm-hmm. and i was actually surprised because yes there were the local papers right but nobody nationally seems interested no. in it now i saw one national thing and i and it wasn't even like it was like business intelligence or one right. of those and then like websites. we looked at we talked recently about the ACLU you right. know the insiders report on that Remember how they that? were in favor they're in favor of it and and I, to so me that was a big deal you know so to me i just i don't know i i really it's just interesting to me. I feel like it's something that businesses love. ISOs and agents love it even more than business owners. Right. Um, surcharging and cash discounting, but cash discounting obviously has some profitability benefits mm-hmm. um, and some simplicity benefits. Well, as that's well, it. It's the simplicity, know? I think. You know. Yeah. So you, you really have to have a partner like a Cardex or a Surchex to, to do the to, to do, do the, the surcharging, surcharging on any mammoth scale. Sure. And yeah. I mean, we shouldn't say. I mean, obviously there are now there probably are seven there. or eight that have oh, a very sure. compliant, you know, right. whatever. But um, it's really interesting. Um, I'm trying to get another uh, ISV on here. Uh, well, I mean, ISV is the wrong word. It's a gateway, really. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get them on that they have a cash discount and surcharge software that runs on Point Clover oh, uh, e-commerce with yeah. the reseller. You so, know? It, so basically so. it can be either one, depending on what the merchant whatever feels you, like. Right, whatever you want to sell, mm-hmm. and they have the app that makes it compliant. And you know, So right. there, there's some. I think 2020 will be a year where – I guess what I'm trying to say is – I, you know, and I hate to say this because again, I've got friends on different sides of this, but I feel like on the surcharging side, there's the there was this big push, kind of like let's get the lead mm-hmm. in surcharging because it is so complicated, right? And we need to build software that makes it compliant. Mm-hmm. And there's like let's get this big lead before the avalanche of business comes. But the funny thing is, to me, it's like the avalanche actually came on the other side of the mountain, yeah, with cash discounting, right? And I mean, not to say surcharging isn't growing by leaps and bounds, but it's like compared to the cash discount side, not. there's just a lot more growth on that side. Yeah, I agree. So, and I think also, don't you think that surcharging maybe is a little bit more um, uh, compatible with certain verticals versus cash discount? Of course, of right? course. Right. Well, and, and I think also they're larger, you know, medium to larger businesses that. Frankly, you know, they get it. They they look and go, cash discounting isn't, you know, it, maybe it's compliant, maybe it's not. Nobody really knows. Nobody's really said. And I have 10,000 SKUs that I'm dealing right. with. Right. And they're right. like, you know, I think we'll go surcharging because we know that's legal. We know it's compliant. Right. We know we can work with these companies to make it work right. So I think there's that back and forth. And, and the last thing, of course, is for those that maybe are new to this debate, is that surcharging in some ways can actually be easier to sell. I was just going to say that, yes. Because the only objection you're going to deal with, of course, is my customers are going to hate it. But then you'd have the idea because, the, and, and you know, people like the NRF and those mm-hmm. groups have, have made such a big deal about the cost of card acceptance. Right. That everybody, you know, most everybody accepts the fact that, that it, it costs, costs money, money right. to accept a card. And so, therefore, they might right. be a little more willing. More, and they're becoming more and more willing by the day as mm-hmm. things like this WooPay integration, more and more people are seeing this. They're becoming right. more accepted, just like ATM fees. You, you exactly. I like how you... Uh, 
maybe a year ago. Yeah, I made that an, right that, that analogy. analogy, and yeah. I think that's a good analogy. It's like we don't even think about that anymore. No, of you course know, not. We pay two, three bucks, get our money. Who cares? It's convenient. We're <clears> paying for convenience. Right, and I think we're having the same thing with the fees in general. But the one thing about surcharging that does make it more appealing to sell. <clears throat> is that the only objection is my customers are going to hate it, but with surcharging, it's like, well, yeah, but then I can say use your debit card. Exactly. Whereas with cash discounting, it's like, well, either you got cash or you don't. Right. And, and you know, use your debit card. It's going to be cheaper. And if you don't want to do that, then just pay me with cash. Yeah. Right? So I think we'll be, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about this in the coming months. Yeah, so. I think so. Okay. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, uh, last week I was talking about marketing funnels and, you know, just the kind of the the basics of what is a marketing funnel. Mm -hmm. Today, I want to talk about how to leverage marketing funnels with a door to door sales team. Ah, Good. So, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is this, you know, I always get frustrated when I see two sides of an argument that really shouldn't be two sides of an argument. In other words, a lot of times people pick sides when the correct answer is actually in the middle. Um, in the area of prospecting and marketing, this is a big one right now that's happening in our industry where you have companies that say, oh my, prospecting, that's that's old fashioned. You don't need to do that anymore. Instead, you need to do marketing, you know? Then you have people that are prospecting that say marketing. I mean, that's, you know, that's long-term stuff. I mean, we let's go sell. We want to go prospecting. And the truth is that the best results come from a dynamic prospecting effort that is backed up by a dynamic marketing effort. Yes, yes. Right? So let's talk about, you know, last week kind of as a really quick recap here. We talked about marketing funnels and this idea of making an ebook uh, that merchants want to download, creating a landing page where they can come to download that ebook and provide some basic information, and then trying to get them to a secondary page where you can get them to uh, go through a funnel where they're going to uh, schedule an appointment or schedule a demo or something like that. Right. So the first thing I want to do is I actually want to give a little plug here for a technology solution that I think is really nice and would be a really good fit for a lot of smaller ISOs in our industry, and that is a technology called HubSpot, H-U-B-S-P-O-T. Okay. I've not been paid to make this recommendation. Um, and in fact, my company doesn't even use HubSpot anymore. Um, we've kind of graduated to the point where we have enough developers and really technically smart people that we don't really need HubSpot to do all their magic. We can do it ourselves. Right. However... For the ISO that doesn't have a, you know, developer on staff and things like that, HubSpot is really a great solution for a couple of important reasons. Number one, they have a free CRM. Um, it's a, it's actually pretty nice. It's, I think it's a good fit for our industry, um, but it's a free CRM that, that your agents can use on their smartphone. Mm -hmm. And that allows an important thing to happen where they're basically assigning leads. So... 
what would happen here is imagine your agent goes out in the field and walks into a merchant location. They talk to a merchant and during that conversation, they say, hey, you know what? I really think it would be great if we could get you our ebook that we just wrote on inventory management. Mm -hmm. So they can actually go into their CRM and they can create a, you know, a new contact put that email right. address in there and they can also then right there, they can assign the campaign that they want to put this person into, which would be like mm -hmm. a marketing funnel. Right. So from there, they would then go ahead and send the email to the merchant with a link um, to take them back to the landing page to download the ebook and then go to the, um, to the funnel. Now, the other thing about HubSpot that's really nice is it's, you can set it up to do alerts and things where when somebody clicks on an email or somebody opens an email, you can get these kind of real-time alerts in the CRM um, to let you mm. know that something is happening. And so what I find when I'm talking to door-to-door -door salespeople is that you know, if, if they could just get a merchant to know the name of their company, to know what their company is all about, and right. to know when that person would be available for a conversation, that's a big part. That's like, you know, that's a big deal. That really, really helps them out a lot. So using a door-to-door -door sales team, the idea is get your door-to-door -door sales team out in the field and let them know, hey, look, we are still trying to make sales just like we were before. Nothing has changed. We still want to go close deals. We want to go prospecting. But we're adding one extra thing, and that is these people that are currently telling you no – and then you're never getting anything from them. Let's get them into a drip campaign so that we can down the road sell them on something else. So sure. let's get that email address. So the idea is you try to sell them, you go back and forth a little bit, you know, and they say, no, we're not interested. And when you finally realize, okay, I'm not going to get this deal, then the last thing you say is, let me at least do this. I would love to at least get you on our email list and send you a free ebook on you know, the three keys to managing your auto repair shops payment needs or whatever. And get them that ebook, get their email address and get them into that drip campaign and that, that marketing funnel to where then hopefully they're going to go through that. You're, that agent's going to get alerted when they open that email. Maybe it's the fifth one that you send out that's in three weeks. And they're like, wow, hey, they, they actually clicked on that link. So even though maybe they didn't schedule the appointment for the agent to come back, they did click on the link that said schedule the appointment. Well, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. enough. Like now you know who sure. they are. So now the agent can go back out there and say, hey, I, I know we talked a few weeks ago, and I just wanted to circle back with you and see if you got a chance to look at our ebook. And now you're able to start that conversation again. Um, so look at ways that you can integrate that marketing funnel. I think really the, the last tip I had about that was, for the newer agents, they will actually enjoy just straight up using the funnel. It's like, you know, in other words, sure. they're, they're not really comfortable selling yet anyway. So you're, you know, you're always like, what do I do with this new agent? I got this agent. They were selling insurance before. What do I do with this agent their first day in the field? Easy. Tell them to go get 20 email addresses. Right. Um, right. Right. And they add it to this funnel. That person's going to get information. And then when they come back, now all of a sudden they've got this warm lead mm -hmm. because out, sure. of those, out of those 27 or eight are going to click on the thing. Right. And now they come back two days later and say, hey, did you get a chance to check out the ebook? And, you know, two or three of those 20 are like, yeah, I actually did. I read it. It was really good. Well, mm -hmm. there you go. I mean, what more could you ask for? And now your agent has a really warm conversation instead of that cold call. So a lot of different ways you can kind of weave the door to door prospecting into the marketing funnel, you know, to really maximize those results. Yeah. Good stuff, James. Thanks. Thanks Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. 
Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.